What if you were able to create a tequila brand by going to your favorite distilleries and asking each master distiller to create something special for you? Each expression from different regions, letting the distiller showcase his artwork to create something truly remarkable. Well, that's exactly what Jake Lustig did with Arte Nome. We're going to hear about Jake's passion for agave spirits, as well as talk about the only brand that the CRT is allowed to be produced at multiple distilleries. On this episode of the Agave Social Club Podcast, hosted by me, Doug Price. Welcome to the show. This is the Agave Social Club Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Price. And today we are speaking with National Sales Director of Haas Brothers Importers, as well as the creator of Arte Nom, Jake Lustig. Jake, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Thanks, Doug. I'm so excited to be here today with you. You know, I, I say national sales director, but I know anybody that knows you in the industry knows that you are so much more than that. And you have done uh, so much over the years for Agave Spirits and for the industry. You are an educator, you're an uh, importer, you're a curator, and, and you've really grown an incredible portfolio of tequilas for Haas Brothers. I wanted to see if you could take us back to the beginning and hear what, what got you into Agave Spirits and, and what's your story leading up to where you are today? Oh, wow. That's a long one. I'll, I'll cut it short. <laughs> but I, uh, I'm born in San Francisco. I was raised mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area. But my mother remarried and uh, relocated to southern Mexico when I was a boy. Oh, wow. In my later teen years, I drove a pickup truck down there and was taking tourists out to pottery villages, uh, rug weaving villages, wood carving villages in uh, southern Mexico in the state of Oaxaca. Okay. And a gentleman looked looked me up to hire me to develop the sourcing for a mezcal project that he wanted to launch. This is in 1993, 1994. I ultimately did a a broad review of slightly more than 80 independent small distillers for that project. Wow. Learned a lot about the governmental regulations on how you prepare a product for export and, and pull that off. And by 1996, 1995, I guess, actually in 94, I began writing a business plan to look for my own capital to do a brand for myself. Did that in 95, partnered up with a family, actually in 94, and we started making our mezcal. That's in the town of Santa Catarina, Minas, St. Catherine's Mines, and our old distillery is called Real de Minas, the Distilleria Real de Minas. So I was working on that, going steadily broke as nobody quite embraced mezcal <laughs> in the 1990s back, back quite then, yet. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, who really loved my mezcal was a big agave cultivator in Jalisco who remarked to me that it was so much like his grandfather used to make tequila. And I didn't quite understand the veracity of that until much later when I learned that the old uh, Norma Oficial Mexicana for tequila back in 1948 really reads like a, a modern mezcal production sheet. It's just totally remarkable. Anyway, that gentleman ended up wanting to develop a distillery and we launched a little brand together called Espalone Tequila. That really got me on the radar in the United States as this... Still very, very popular brand. Yeah, it's really gone off. I mean, we've, we've since sold the brand, but that kind of put me on the radar, I would say, in, in the more formal liquor industry. 
as a, an operator and a developer, yeah. a brand developer. I went to go spearhead a division that I created at Southern Wine and Spirits called the Latin Market Spirits Division to service, at that point, what was 50% of the California populace in my home state. Had grown to a, a population of around 20 million people. Yet the large liquor distributors really hadn't focused on those opportunities or how to service that market. So I went to work for them as the manager of that division. And in that, in that role and capacity, served a lot of masters as anyone who works for a large U.S. importer, excuse me, distributor would, you know, working for the Diageos and the Sky Camparis and the Jim Beam companies of the world, yeah. developing all of their tequila franchises. And it was in doing that job that I realized how many brands disappear in tequila every year. Standard screw-ups in life, you know, uh, fires, divorces, deaths, whatever kind of thing might cause a, a distiller to cease operations. On the other end of that, you've got a ton of man hours, woman hours, whatever, salespeople hours on the street gone to waste, all those store positionings and all of that. And yeah. I started to think, how could we make a brand or a line of tequila that could weather the storms and pivot, but yet was substantive? So one of the first points of departure from the status quo was to try to find those last few producers that actually are cultivators first and foremost, not yeah. clear channel ad package buyers or not celebrity endorsers, but yeah. actual old school cultivators. Yeah, the then I deal. learned that there's a rule in the tequila industry by the Tequila Regulatory Council that a brand cannot source its production from multiple producers. So I had to figure out how to navigate that labyrinth. But ultimately, what we came up with was this Art de Gnome tequila, making art out of understanding the gnomes, and the gnomes there reference the Norma Oficial Mexicana, which is that four-digit number that the, the Tequila Regulatory Council gives you when you're in compliance and approved to produce. And that's on every bottle. That number's on every that's bottle. That's on every bottle. And yep. trying to get away from all the goofiness of the branding in the world. You know, the Lucky yep. Horseshoe or the Boss or airplane tequila or great fortune tequila you know those might be fun illustrative names but they don't really tell you anything about the tequila and i thought yeah if i could just say this is a selection from this person and this is a selection from this person and here's what they're doing differently and then lastly on that project i think the reason it actually worked and has worked is it gives the distillers themselves a pedestal to do something interesting. Even their own brands seldom hearken them as the producers. The brands might be, well, just under the brand of the distillery. Like one of my favorite of our of our producers is the Vivanco family that makes our Reposado yep. 1414. They make a terrific product called Viva Mexico. But yep. you don't you don't hold that bottle in your hand and see Vivanco. By doing a selection for us, the Vivancos realized, wow, this screams Vivanco. This brand tells our them. family story. It's us. And therefore, it's worth you know the extra labor to scrape these agave pencas and pick up field-derived yeasts to do a 
completely integrated fermentation program where we're pulling the yeast right from those orchards over to this ferment stuff that they just wouldn't frankly do for their own brand because their own brand doesn't herald that you know so that's the that's been a lot of fun with the distillers so when i think i mean when i think of arte nom I think of uh, almost a hall of fame of Thank distilleries. You. That's and, how we and, intended it. Yeah, and and master ticaleros, and and you really are bringing this to them to showcase them. What was this an easy sell? As you kind of went through each one, did did you uh, have to sell it to them, or were they just so quick to say, "Hey, we would love to be featured on this"? In the beginning, it was it was trying to sell them on it and explain. And we, you know, when I'd approach a distiller, I'd, I'd come with a mocked up label showing his gnome and how this thing would look. But to my surprise, and thankfully for the the wonderful tequila community that we're in, everybody once I kind of got some traction on this project, people knew about it and they were interested and they were excited to join it. So. I've not had to actually convince anybody to be a part of it since we launched it 10 years ago. Everybody has been eager to jump into the fold and do their own expression. And every one of these participants does something very different. The 1579 Felipe Camarena, you know, he's aerating that tequila. He's making it from rainwater. Yeah. The 1146 I see over your shoulder up on the shelf behind you. That gentleman is Enrique Fonseca is putting it 14 months in a used wine cask from France yeah. before moving it to American Oak. So it's giving them each kind of a, a pedestal and, and a palette to paint their, their work of art. Yeah. Yeah. And then so going back to CRT, what, what was that like? Because I think you were, I think this is one of the first, if not the first brand that the was only. able to, yeah, the only to overcome that. that the only one that's ever what was that like? Was that was that a long-term process or It was exhausting both for them and for me. The final conversation, I'll never forget it was a Tuesday like 8, 9, 10 years ago where two people finally at the CRT had me on the phone and said my name in Spanish. I'm I'm I, I go by Jake here. I was born Jacob in Spanish they call me Jacobo. They said Jacobo, you've been losing and repetitioning this same idea, this same uh, <laughs> proposal now for two and a half years. Wow. This is the final day. We're going to review this uh, pursuant to your your latest argument. <laughs> and if by the end of the day today, we turn you down, you have to surrender this petition. And I said, I will. And I remember that Tuesday just wringing my hands. And at four o'clock when we talked, they said, Jacobo, felicidades, we're going to let you do this. Wow. And so it was a long, long process. Lots of little bizarre nuances. One of the things I wanted to show on these labels was not only the producer, but the elevation, the actual geographic coordinates of the agave orchards, and also the average bricks levels, the sweetness maturity levels of the agave themselves. And even that last point was a couple months debate with the Tequila Regulatory Council. You know, Just how, whether how, you could put that on the bottle? Yeah. What does that mean? How can you put that on the bottle? How can how can you ensure the consumer that you're actually using yeah. that maturation stage of agave? You know, But as they say in life, I've learned so the truth to these words. If it was any easier, everyone would do it. <laughs> Yeah. 
So, so at that point, when you got the, when you got the go ahead, had you already had the distilleries lined up or was this still all? Yeah. And my typical ridiculous nature of putting the cart in front of the horse, I had already actually landed the glass in Mexico. I had <laughs> already. Sampling. You were sampling yeah, tequila. Yeah. I had already run the label. I mean, this thing's a go. <laughs> I guess I hadn't run the labels cause you need CRT approval for the labels, but I literally had gotten in that investment. I had glass on the water. Uh, I had the boxes, everything designed. It was it was at that it was at that final moment that I realized the whole project was illegal. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot riding on that that last uh, four o'clock meeting or that yeah, last meeting that they had. Better lucky than smart will have to be etched on my gravestone. No, I, I love this. I love this project. You know, we're, we're going to kind of, you, you discussed a little bit about uh, a little bit about 1579 and 1146. And, and as we kind of go through these, I would love for you to just kind of talk through the process on each one, you know, starting Great. with this Blanco at, at 1579. What, what, what can you tell me about Arte Nom 1579? We, I mean, we, if you know anything about tequila, you know, Felipe is just, yep, that's he's, right. a, he's in the hall of fame. Yeah, he's the Hall of Famer. The truth is, you know, who's the Hall of Famer is his father and his grandfather. His, Correct, yeah. His great-grandfather is the one who brought agave first up to Los Altos. And wow, okay. that was around the 1880s, 1890s. By 1894, the Centinella Distillery, which is not a, a, a Camarena project, but it's the first licensed distillery in the Highlands, Centinella. Okay. That was the, that, that operation was built in 1894, but not actually permitted till 1904. It operated clandestinely for 10 years. Okay. But it was the, it was the, uh, Camarena's growing agave first up in those highlands. And of course, Felipe and Carlos's father and Lily's father, the, the proverbial Don Felipe Camarena was the one that really developed El Tesoro. Yeah. El Tesoro de Don Felipe. And as has happened in so many tequilero families, as, as in, I guess, any family business, there's been a fair share of disaccord and strife in that family. And ultimately, Jim Beam Brands bought El Tesoro de Don Felipe and yeah. younger brother Carlos Camarena has been the steward of that brand. Older brother Felipe Camarena, the namesake of the father, you know, the oldest son usually gets that name went up the hill to grandpa's old lands where there's a kind of a saddle in the, the ridge of the mountain. And they call that saddle Pandillo after an ox, an oxen that the grandfather had that had a peculiar dip in its back. And so they, they named this ranch and the region here out the micro region after that oxen from a hundred years ago. And uh, Felipe, being at such a high elevation there, he's he's between 6,700 feet and 7,100 feet. There's nothing above him. So there's very limited access to water. Anyone who knows distilleries knows that they churn through water. You need, you know, 11 liters of water to make one liter of tequila. So you always see in, you know, Kentucky, the bourbon distillers are alongside, you know, the Owens River or whatever, yeah. you know. They needed there to to get water, and they realized that they're pumping from 3,000 feet down. The aquifer goes up to around 4,000 feet there, but still, that's a heck of a lot of fuel to pump all of that water. Yeah. So Felipe thought, how am I going to make this a sustainable operation? I better trap rainwater 
And so he emerged as kind of the most sustainable producer, most sustainable operation. And also there's just something inherently magical about distilling with water that you're capturing right out of the sky. Because yeah. what you're inevitably doing there is really just highlighting the plant's characteristics. Yeah. And really highlighting those soils. So that's a really fantastic thing about Felipe Camarena's general operation up there at 1579, El, El Pandillo. But when we approached him to do a project, and by the way, when I say we, I'm not just using the editorial I. Uh, I do have a partner in this, a, a, a gentleman who's 50% partner since day one. Uh, his name is Jose Espinosa. So Jose and I, he's a native of Michoacan. So Jose and I go to Felipe and say, you know, we're huge fans of what you're doing here. We love yeah. G4, hey, hey G4. Yeah. We'd like to do that but with a little spin. But what that spin is, spin is, is up to you. We're not here to roll up our sleeves and tell you what to do. We're humbly knocking on your door, see if you'll let us in. And You're giving him a blank canvas. Yeah, pretty say, much. You go, know? Go and so art, yeah. ultimately, of course, he says, well, my, my, my work of art on my canvas is G4. Yeah. I can't think of how much to make that better, although... For shits and giggles, sometimes we do run that through a wine aerator. That aeration, that ox that active oxygenation, that bubbling of the spirit kind of tempers out some of those spikes and dips and lets us focus more on kind of a qual a core attribute. And so we tried that. We loved it. And so right there we said, okay, if you want to aerate through active bubbling, your G4. For this, it's it's a really a different finish. Two products are really, really different. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. Okay. We ran with it right away. At our first bottling, we actually brought down just tons of those individual wine aerators. Yeah. And it took such a long time to do that bottling. Felipe learned how he figured out a way, the engineer in him, to uh, bubble the whole tank. <laughs> And then so still getting those agaves, Highlands agaves, going through yep. his, yeah, his, his Ornos there, yep. same kind of process, and then doing his way for the water and then the aeration there. Yep. I, I've Sorry. got some in front of me. You know, I am very clear. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, beautiful Blanco. I, I love his Blancos. I can't, I can't see you sipping it without trying some myself yeah. here. Yeah. And, you know, we, we tend to generally notice there's, there's two kind of broad palettes in, in agave, 100% agave, craft agave spirits. When yeah. you're in the highlands, you see a lot of baking spice. You see a lot of cinnamon, some clove. You see some citrus. Mm -hmm. Quite a lot of sweetness. Very tempered heat. And then as you go into the valley of tequila, what we used to call the lowlands, but I've been corrected so many times I've learned to call it the <laughs> valley of tequila. Yeah. You know, hard to call something at 3,800 feet lowland, so yeah. valley works better. But the Valley of Tequila, you get much more pepper, much more spice. You get lower sweetness. You get a lot more minerality. Yeah, earthy. Yep. You know, your baking spices and your citrus kind of fades out a little bit. So when we're tasting this, we still see something that's just so determinedly highland. You know, it's yeah. got that cinnamon notes of overripe agave, that citrus, very bright. On the nose, it it smells like it's coming out 1579. I mean, that citrus, as you say, that yeah. agave. That, and that kind that of agave brightness. mustiness. Yeah, yeah, that earthiness. That yeah. earthiness, that's right. And you see that black pepper is pretty 
muted on it, right? Yeah. And you don't pick up too much like green bell pepper. Nope. Those kind of nope. things that really start to come out on Valley Floor tequilas yeah. are kind of muted here. You see much more citrus, baked agave. Yeah, not much pepper. I mean, just a uh, just a little bit of yeah, pepper. Yeah, very muted, right? Yeah, that agave is, is the star of the show here, just, just yeah. like he does with all of his expressions. He wants yeah. to keep that front and center. Yeah, and it's got a lot of what they call in the wine world that petrichor. I used to describe okay. that characteristic as if you're in Texas or Florida or, you know, the tropics and it's a, it's a balmy, humid day and maybe it rains for an hour and then four in the afternoon, the, you know, the last sun of the day comes out and evaporates up that rainwater off of the yeah. cement streets. It's got a very that specific aroma. kind of wet cement. Yeah, yeah. That's petrichor. here. That's here. That comes through loud and clear. Yeah, and then even you know, as I sip this, the after of it is I get a little bit. Uh, even my tongue is tingling a little bit on the after of this. That pepper comes in a little bit there, but again, not. I mean, very. And you see the back flanges of your tongue starting to really drop that saliva. That's that's yeah. from that good balanced acidity. No, this is this is an amazing blanco. I mean, when you went through each one, was the goal with him to do a blanco? And as I mean, we'll kind of yeah, that was another thing. Each person says out of just kind of trained habit, well, we'll, we'll do our Blanco Repo and Añejo with you, right? That's the only little bit touchy part of the conversation is to say, well, Tequilero X, we're really here for your Blanco or we're really here for your Repo. Yeah. Felipe Camarena is having a world of success with his age yeah. products. I mean, yeah. people just go absolutely nuts for them. And I like them too. But I've got to say, what really pulls my my heartstrings there is the the blanco. It's just, yeah. it's so it, unique. It's about as pure. I mean, his blanco is about as pure and traditional. If you if you want to tell a story and paint a picture of what tequila really is over you know hundreds of years, yeah, he does a phenomenal job with that. There blanco. you go. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And then, so uh, Arte Nome fourteen fourteen. Now, now we're heading uh, slightly yeah. a little northwest uh, around us. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, exactly. Northwest. Yeah, you got it. And, yep, and then you introduce us to Sergio Vivanco and his family. Yeah, exactly. And you know, their father, the late great Don Feliciano Vivanco, passed away. I want to guess he passed away in like two thousand six. I want to say two thousand five. 94 years old. Wow. This is a guy whose historical roots were such that when I asked him, we were really kind of in the throes of the drug wars in the the highlands of Jalisco. Don Feliciano, when did Mexico really go to hell in a handbasket? I thought he would tell me, you know, 1998, 1988 with Lopez Portillo as president or something. He thought about it pensively. He said, you know, up here in Arandas, it's with the arrival of the electric current. And I said, he'll come on. You're pulling my leg. You don't remember the arrival of the electric current. He said, I certainly do. I was like 10 years old. And I thought, you know, the McCarthyist, well, the, the invasion of foreign ideas here to the the hamlet in Los Altos, Jalisco. And he says, no, it was nothing to do with the radio bringing rock and roll or subversive ideas. It had to do with some people in town could afford a light bulb and others couldn't. And those with electric lighting would stay up too late at night and not get enough sleep and act different the next day. And he felt (laughs) that that's where like social schisms developed. (laughs) I said, well, there is some real historical perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
but what what he just such a smart, sophisticated gentleman of a man. He in 1957 had read a National Geographic in Espanol about how Bordeaux winemakers were using field-derived yeasts to ferment Bordeaux wines. And while he knew that there was no problem with buying commercial yeast or regenerating a family yeast strain like a sourdough yeah. bread maker might do, what an interesting proposition to scrape the pencas and collect you know, minute amounts of field yeast which they would then propagate into larger volumes in little Petri dishes and then a, a can and then a bucket. And then he can just keep that alive. And then just the keep that going and keep – no, and yeah. keep scraping pencas and keep these cultures growing and building. Yeah. And the That terroir connection between field and bottle is unparalleled. Nobody's ever done that program outside of them. And he said, geez, you know, if you're going to – put a call out to us in the name of the product and our family story on the bottle. And yeah, we'll bring this back for you. And then his caution at the same time, if you, if you want me to do this, if you like this idea, don't go subvert it by asking me to layer on tons of oak, like you gringos always want. <laughs> and I said, no, sir, I'm here to, you know, humbly follow whatever direction that you, that you lead with. Yeah. So he said, well, we're just going to use a third fill old bourbon barrels that bourbon barrel that we scraped of its char. So we don't have that carbon filtering all the nuance out. And we're only going to use that third use barrel, a single, well, for four months for the aging for you. So if you pick up this 1414, the hue is very, very light on it. Yeah. And that's that's really to retain the agave presence and let people marvel at this localized yeast fermentation. By about 15 years later, the sons Sergio Vivanco and Jose Manuel Vivanco had started planting very aromatic trees, alderwoods, some citrus trees in and around the agave orchards cognizant yeah. that they would be dropping these pollens onto the pencas of the leaves as you're scraping with the high tech yeah. popsicle sticks you're picking up yeast and you know spider webs and bird poop and pollens and everything that lives out there yeah but when you ferment with that of course it all becomes inert nothing's gonna carry through and through distillation and poison our consumer yeah it's just what you get is a very full bouquet of field of Because it's all open it's all open air fermentation there. So anything just around there is has that's access. That's right. That's right. And what they're inoculating that ferment with is a bucket of field derived yeast. Yeah. Which a lot of times I've seen a lot of champagne yeast coming out fourteen fourteen. So for them to yep, go, hey, let's yep. do something different, yep. is, is is pretty awesome for this story for our yep, town. Exactly. Yeah. On on the. I mean, when you look at it, if it's in a glass, I mean, you could you could. It almost looks like it, a blanco. A blanco. Right? Yeah. yeah. It, it it could look like a blanco. You know, in the bottle, it's is definitely a little more of a yellow hue to it. But yeah. you know, I I poured these a little while ago just because I wanted to get a little air into them. And man, this this really opens up. There's almost a sweetness. To me, on, oh, yeah. on the nose here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, what you get in four months of, of of barrel, of American white oak barrel, is you do get some hints of vanilla, butterscotch, caramel. You do get 
that Arondas minerality, you get some magnesium and iron, so you get these mineral trace minerals in there. They do yeah. use a very overripe agave, so you you get some of those cinnamon and those baking spices. Yeah, I, I get some of those baking spices. I mean, this still, yeah, agave's there. This is yeah. a very to me a, a mellow, you know, just hints of all these things that that barrel's picking up. But yeah, but not but not dominating. Hopefully. No, not at all. And, yeah. and I, you know, I, I would prefer to sip, but I even think that this in a cocktail would really right. cut through that, that would really cut through to really showcase it. Yeah. We love it in a Paloma, a little Paloma. It's delicious. They, they've got incredible. I mean, all of these, all of these distilleries are making phenomenal brands. I didn't have time to get it to you and for this session, but I'll get it. I'll shoot it out to you as soon as I, I can. We're doing a new selection with the partners at Costco Ween. I was going to ask yeah, about 1123. No, and that's kind of that's kind of hitting a soft space between the Felipe Camarena 1579 Blanco Highland Blanco and this 1414 okay. very short aged Highland Reposado. This 1123 Valley Blanco, I'm calling it Blanco Histórico, like a historic Blanco. Because it's lower bricks. It's not this real bright citrusy baking spice. Okay. These are going to be typical of the valley floor. Yeah. 23, 24 bricks agave that has then been laid down in a very used oak. In this case, we're using wet mezcal barrels that I just okay. ship up quickly from Oaxaca from our Don Amado mezcal uh, operation at that Real de Minas distillery. Yeah. And then we're just conditioning the um, Cascawin Blanco, eleven twenty three Blanco, for twenty five days. In fact, actually wow. twenty eight days. So okay. it's it retains its Blanco designation. Yeah. Its color hue is a little lighter than what you're seeing on this fourteen fourteen, but it's got much more of that valley floor pepper and spice and green bell pepper and minerality. Just tons yeah, of that minerality. Earthiness, that soil is is going to come. Uh-huh, exactly. Exactly. That's it. And is that is that out yet? Is it coming out? Is it Believe new? it or not, we're bottling for the United States tomorrow, January 15th, 2021. Okay. So it takes me about 10 days to rumble it north. And then it's another you know week or so to get it out to the distributors. But by the end of January, that'll start popping up in stores. What you're doing is you're going, hey, where where are my favorite distilleries? Who's right. making the tequila I like the best? That's right. And then you're you're partnering with them to say, hey, can you make me something different? And something I cool. think that is yeah, yeah, I think that is the the greatest job, the greatest brand to be able it's to do dang that. Fun. Yeah, because you're going to get representations of so many different distillers and their art and for right. what they're saying, hey, this is what I'm looking to portray for this right. tequila. Yeah, right. and so I mean we we we've gone through 1579, 1414 and and then and then we just like we we go a little more west at Tontonilco. Yeah. We're going to go a little, little more west there. That's right. And 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 you've got I mean this a Añejo. darkness here in this Añejo yeah. that yeah. is just chocolate. I mean tell yeah. tell me about 1146, tell me about this Añejo and tell me yeah. about who's making it. Well, the it. big the big trick I mean for me really is I always resented when I was presenting products to bartenders in the know or retailers in the know, tequila enthusiasts, and they'd talk about, I don't like wood interference. And I'd say, well, neither do I, but what about wood contribution? And then they'd say, well, no, but I'm a purist and I'm an enthusiast. Tequila is most expressive of its, you know, natural essence when it's a Blanco. And I just knew that to be wrong, in fact. 
you know, for whatever reason, distilled spirits do quite well in oak. We all, whether that's through socialization or palate informing or whatever, most drinkers revel in the deliciousness of contact with oak wood specifically. Yeah. Yeah. The vanillins, those those elements. And I suspected that when we speak pejoratively of aged tequilas losing their characteristics, it's because, you know, is it the is it the arrow or is it the Indian? It's so much of it has come now from sloppy aging programs. Yeah. Not not well evolved understandings of bacteria growth of sat- oversaturation of oak so much it's been considered to be just a way to add value using yeah. discarded bourbon barrels that are laden with carbon and char so they really denude the products of any yeah. nuance and you get basically a sweet caramel vanilla butterscotch sugar bomb. yeah that ag- that agave moves to the back yeah that agave moves to the back so really you got just a very, very small group, maybe Guillermo Erickson Salsa, Felipe Camarena, and Enrique Fonseca. I mean, you've got a really small club that understands how to age tequila without letting that agave get lost and without yeah. letting those those vanillaoid vanilloid compounds dominate. Enrique learned at an early age. For him, European really really dark oaks worked remarkably well for maintaining the integrity of the spirit the only problem with those casks is that they're so damn expensive and they are often very loaded with tannins so he's he ultimately settled on formal former wine barrels from loire valley that were used for the cob franc varietal because the cob franc varietal has a very soft note. Enrique Fonseca f- fell in love with Loire Valley barrels, used wine barrels, not used spirits barrels. And that would give me the differentiation from the sugar bomb, caramel, vanilla, butterscotch, Añejo tequilas that predominate in the industry. The only problem with it is that, frankly, that uh, French oak is very austere. It's very tight. Uh, it's kind of spicy. Yeah. It's not immediately gratifying. It's, it's, we think of, you know, our American oak as being a really a hard wood. Of course it is, but the grain is considerably whiter than French oak. And so you, you get more caramel, vanilla, butterscotch, and you don't get as much of that, like cacao, you know, that toasted wood to, to not lose this product and being too serious, this expression too, too austere and too serious, too complicated. Enrique decided that after 14 months in those used French wine barrels, he'd pick that spirit up and put it in American white oak. And then the listener might say, but wait, I thought you just said American white oak ends up kind of denuding the spirit of nuance. Well, he doesn't use bourbon oak. He uses either Canadian whiskey or Tennessee rye, both of which are just toasted barrels, not charred. So you, you get that caramel, vanilla, butterscotch without sacrificing your agave on a very kind of linear, structured French oak base. This is all way too academic if somebody doesn't have the tequila in front of them. But when you taste it, 
what you notice is it comes in spicy, tingly, sharp, kind of giving you a little bit of a challenge. And just when somebody might say, yeah, this is interesting, but am I enjoying it? All of a sudden, oh, boom, there's that caramel vanilla butterscotch. Yeah. There's those yeah. familiar, delicious, whiskey-esque notes still just fully laden with agave. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, when you, when you look at it, I mean, very, very dark and we can have conversations about additives and we know that this entire line is, is certified additive free. I mean, no all these distilleries, no, yeah, no additives, yeah. No. all of these distilleries are verified additive free. So, so this correct. is the barrel really doing its thing. And, you know, I know Enrique Fonseca, he comes from a family of multi-generational distillers, uh, big agave growers. So, I mean, yeah. this has been his life for him to put yeah. this in a glass. But I'll tell you, his story is a, is the story of the business. He didn't build. He is the largest private agave grower in the business right now. Yeah, that's or right. one of the one of the largest, two or three maybe. But he didn't build that empire all in one generation. He inherited much of it. Okay, uh, he he's expounded on it. it. His story is so essential to understanding what's happened in our business. His family lived for a hundred years on supplying agave to Cuervo and Salsa. And okay. when he was in the 70s and 80s, they were huge suppliers of raw material to Cuervo. And in the mid-80s, he recalls the buyer at Cuervo telling his father, we are aware that we've made a contract with you guys for 1 million, 1.2 million plants a year for 10 years. We know that we've wow. obligated you guys as cultivators, the Fonseca's, to literally be growing for this this deal, 12 million agave. But here on year five, I need to tell you, we're not going to pay the, the price that we had agreed to contractually. We're only nice. going to offer you this price. And if you don't want it, frankly, you can keep your agave. We've got another guy who will sell to us at this lower price. Enrique looked up at his pops and hoped that his dad would you know, send that, uh, that, that Cuervo buyer from where he came. Yeah. But instead Enrique's father said with, you know, doubled over shoulders. Okay. We'll, we'll accept that price. And Enrique wow. said, dad on the way out, you know, why did you accept that price? How are we ever going to make this work financially? And dad said, son, you don't argue with your customer. And so Enrique was baffled. You know, you don't argue with your customer yet. Our customer doesn't seem to have any respect for our survival. And so Enrique became resound to buy his own distillery. He bought an old one off of Bacardi, who was getting okay. rid of a distillery in tequila. Yep. And he just started turning into tequila, whatever agave he couldn't get a fair price for. And so he became unwittingly kind of a forebearer of this story, which we've seen with the Vivancos and the Camarenas and the Rosales and all these, yeah. these old classic families of we better create a little distillery here to turn into tequila, whatever they won't give us a fair price for. And ultimately, what were those buyers thinking if they're not going to purchase actually real mature quality agave? The stated, if you can imagine that, the stated mission of those buyers at Cuervo and Salsa was 
Someday we're going to figure out how to make tequila without agave. And as <laughs> preposterous as that sounds, three months ago, Cuervo concluded production of its final product made with mature agave. They're now Jeez. entirely 100%. This 40 years after they said that to the, to the uh, Fonseca's, 40 years later, they attained their dream of making tequila, even 100% agave tequila, without agave. Now, that's not true. It is with agave, but it's with agave nectar. It's not with mature agave. Yeah. And so that, my friends, is called diffuser tequila. Yeah. We've made a website called diffusor.info. Yeah, great. And I'll post that because that's a great website for anybody to get educated on the importance of yeah. why they should be using and drinking tequila that is either autoclave or the stone. If they others. care about it. I mean, it's a nuanced niche thing. There's there's more important things happening in the world today than, than this. If one is an aficionado of tequila and if one is celebratory of Mexican culture and food yeah. and art and spirits and wines... It's just unimaginable to not pay attention to this since yeah. the advent of this diffuser uh, technology of processing agave in four hours, agave, which are only two and a half, three years old, as opposed yeah. to actual mature, you know, mature. seven year, eight year plants. Since the advent of that technology, we have gone from over 25,000 People working in agave cultivation to today in 2021, just over 2,200. We're only at 8% of the agave field workers that we were 20 years ago while output has tripled. Yeah, I mean, you, when you say if you're an aficionado, I, I, I need to have you back on the show to really dive into this. Your, your knowledge of this is very thorough. And so when you talk about just the impact that it has on the industry, has on just just on the earth for those fields, for the Correct. workers, for the families. I mean, that's a deep thing opposed to just, hey, I, I really am into my tequila. I want to support that history. There's something else going on here that is, is much bigger. And when you talk about big brands that are able to do this at such a, a reduced rate, I mean, the amount of people that are in those distilleries right. are far less people for them to be able to do this. And then right. they can turn that into their marketing dollars to make you Correct. think this is the best. Yeah. I mean, th right. there's a bigger story there. So, so definitely want to have you back on, but I mean, I thankful for you just really being one of the guys that is speaking loudly about this because it is a big deal to be drinking thank tequila you. that is made the right way. Thank yeah. you. You know, thank yeah, you so absolutely. much. And thank you for this opportunity. I just want to make sure that I leave this as we, as we wrap this up. I have the good opportunity to be talking with you today, but you know, brothers, David Sorrell with Siembra Valle, yeah. Siembra Sul yeah. has been doing so much of the heavy lifting for so long. Guillermo Erickson Salsa with Fortaleza training and teaching so many bartenders. Felipe yeah. Camarena. So I'm very satisfied feeling that I'm I'm part of a of a team. Publicly, we may have our own divisions and brands that we're stewards of, but privately, we sure do admire one another. And yeah. none of us could be fighting this fight alone. Yeah. Thank goodness for guys like you with your interest and some of these forums that have opened up. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. it's a fun it's a challenging time to operate in, but we we don't feel anymore that we're operating in a void. Also, 
just such a huge shout out to Grover Sansegrin and Scarlet yeah. and what they've done with tequilamatchmaker.com. It's just, yeah. it gives all of us a pedestal to be able to talk about these things. And it's a great, I mean, it's a great source for a great source and a great resource for everything they're doing for yeah, anybody that's, that's wanting right. to get into tequila. I mean, yeah. that's the number one recommended, Hey, download this app. The first yeah. thing you need to do is, is, <laughs> exactly. down, is download this exactly. app and read every article. Yeah. No, and, and what I've, Can't as, as I've been exactly. growing this and, and learning about the industry, I've really seen the tequila industry, the people come together and they really do support each other because they do see, I mean, for this to have an agave that takes this long to grow, there's no other spirit that could be imagine? done in a turnaround. Yeah. I mean, that long of a time. And so to really support each other is a really great thing. Jake, thank you so much for, for being on thank the show. You. You know, as we, as we've been talking through, aren't they know going through these expressions? Th these are all phenomenal expressions. This and Yeho, I, I would be honored to, I mean, anybody who's a whiskey drinker, this is just a, a beautiful treat. All of these are uh, real quick. I want to make sure people can, can find it, can find it online, have opportunities to purchase it so they can experience how great these expressions are. Wh what do you recommend website, social media, wh where can we find more information on Arte? You know, we're, yeah, we're all over social media. We have, uh, what's the right terminology? A social media community manager. I'm personally kind of a data freak and I just, it's a lot of my training to, to look at data and use data. We are just now rolling out on the delltequila.com. Dell being okay. D-E-L of the tequila. That's our, that's our website. The, a where to find box. If you're in the United States, and, and soon we're going to expand this to our global. We're, we're, we're selling now in Europe and Asia and around Mexico. Okay. I where to find that will give you refreshed data every 30 to 60 days within you know your zip code closest to your address. And we'll actually draw you a, a little roadmap <laughs> to the store or bar. So looking at our website, deltequila.com okay. is going to be the best. Best guess. Now with so much, so many um, regulations prohibiting interstate shipment of booze, I'm reluctant to throw out, a, you know, an online retailer because that's gotten trickier and trickier. I will throw out just because I've I've actually purchased this from siptequila.com. I've seen oh, it great. in other spots. They've been great partners. Yeah, I'm I'm two hours from them and, and a few months ago I was there and, and walked into their warehouse and saw fifteen seventy nine and eleven forty six. Oh terrific. Yeah, they've been great partners. And I said, Keith, I gotta buy a bottle of both of it because it, it's yeah. it's phenomenal tequila. So, oh, terrific. so I know I mean they're they're able to get it to your door and I know there's some other online ones as well, but I want to make sure we'll link to deltequila.com to where people can find it. So terrific. Jake again, thank you for your time. You you've got knowledge that Anybody who's into tequila is envious of. So appreciate all that you're doing oh, for the you. tequila community and industry. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Doug. This has been a real, real pleasure. That was Jake Lustig with Artinome and some incredible stories and information that may make you want to go back and listen to the episode a second time. Be sure to check out DellTequila.com to learn more about Artinome. And as I mentioned earlier, SipTequila.com has all three expressions that we talked about today, and they can get a ship to your door usually within a few days of once you place the order. I've got my affiliate link in the description, which helps out the show. So if you want to use it, that would be much appreciated. You can follow me on Instagram at Agave Social Club, and be sure to check out theagavesocialclub.com, where you can listen to other episodes of the show. I'm Doug Price, and thanks for listening.